All right. Uh, a couple things at, at the top here. Uh, number one, uh, for those of you who have been praying for the radio show, thank you. As, as I think I reported last week, uh, there were some pretty vicious uh, spiritual attacks that came right out of the gate. And as people began to pray, it's like it shut off like a light switch or like turning off a faucet. So uh, thank you for your prayers for that. And then um, as we begin today, uh, a week or two ago, Anne asked if I, I could share some of the highlights or some of the principles from the prayer summit that we had on January 13th. So I'm just going to give you a, a couple of nuggets from that that uh, I thought were, uh, were important. And I think what I'll do, there, there were some great scriptures that were... Um, that were used. And I think rather than reading them all here, what I'm going to do is uh, email all of you those particular scriptures. Um, and, uh, and, and you can look at them at, at your leisure. But anyway, just to, uh, just to hit some of the highlights, this was, by the way, this is the 28th annual prayer summit uh, for Mission Greater Modesto, the Greater Modesto Ministerial Association. And um, it was all done on Zoom. And uh, we'll keep this in-house here, but one of the funny things is if you're familiar with Zoom, you can have breakout rooms. And traditionally at prayer summits, we have breakout rooms for men and breakout rooms for women so that our, our male facilitator can meet with the men and our female facilitator can meet with the women. And so, and of course, they're, they're done in different rooms. So uh, as I was doing that very hurriedly, I accidentally uh, put two pastors in the women's room. And so that became a source of, of great levity and laughter. And anyway, we finally got them back in where they were supposed to be. Um, <laughs> there, there was a very interesting concept that I, I really like. And, and if you're facilitating prayer times or you're part of a prayer time, uh, I like this approach. And, and Dennis and Jody hit this early on. We, at the beginning, we prayed uh, for distraction and attraction. Distraction and attraction. Number one, for God to remove all the distractions. And the enemy often uses distractions to... Uh, uh, to, to upset prayer times and, and to uh, take us down rabbit trails and such. And so number one is to pray for uh, protection against distraction. But then in the affirmative way, also we spent some time praying for attraction, uh, for attracting us to God and for totally uh, centering it upon him. And I, I thought that was a really nice uh, way to, to, uh, to start the, the prayer time. Um, there's another, uh, I, not a philosophy, but another approach to, um, to praying. And that is to think about our position with Christ. We are seated with Christ at the right hand of the father, uh, according to scripture. And so, uh, we kind of went through what it, means start off in, in, a, in elongated prayer time to really be with Christ, to sit with him, what that means, and to take the time to allow the Holy Spirit to 
help us be there with Christ. We're seated with him. And that means a lot of things. That means we're protected. Uh, that means he's uh, our focus. And out of that focus comes the unity of, of the body. And then uh, uh, the aspect of, of walking and how our walk, uh, walk with the spirit. And uh, so how we walk individually with the spirit and how we walk with each other. And then finally, in terms of Ephesians 6 and spiritual warfare, how we stand. So it progresses from sitting with Christ, kind of looking down on us, and then looking at our walk here on earth, what other people see, and then stand because at, whether it's uh, Paul in Ephesians 6 or it's uh, James or Peter, all saying that our stance when we're being attacked is to stand firm. It is not to go on the offensive. None of them recommend that. Uh, but it's to stand fast. And if we stand fast, uh, according to what we know is true, if we stand fast with Christ, then the enemy ultimately will flee because there's nothing for him to do. Uh, so that, that aspect of standing fast. And I had to apply that to... Uh, some of the attacks that have, that have come in the last week and a half. And uh, I think I mentioned last week, I'm no longer uh, being part of groups on social media or taking messages there. Uh, I'll do it on email or texting, voicemail. Um, but uh, the enemy just get, gets into that social media and wreaks havoc. And so, and I've been through this before. You know, when you put yourself out there and, and you know, what's the old phrase? Um, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> the, the enemy will attack. And so by standing firm, we simply stand in the light. We stand, uh, according to Ephesians 6, and what we know truth to be. Uh, we stand with the tools that Christ has given us, and we stand fast. Uh, we're immovable with him because we are with him. And, uh, and so what that means in various situations, uh, we, we have to learn from the spirit. For me, when these attacks come, it's to uh, ignore them, pray for the people and give them over to God. And like I said, it was interesting uh, in the past, oh, probably four or five days, it was like a light switch. The attacks just stopped like a light switch going off and, uh, or turning a faucet off. And so you can see God working. And again, my prayer is that those who are on the attack would, would submit to the Lord ultimately and, and, and know him. So anyway, um, those were some interesting thoughts. Here, here are some others. Um, and I think, what was it? Uh, so Darius Crosby, he made a comment, I think it was Darius, or maybe it was the facilitator, about um, David taking on Goliath. And uh, everybody else on God's side was looking at Goliath and thinking he was too big to conquer. David looked at Goliath and said, he's too big to miss. <laughs> and so with the, with the stone, he was able to um, 
of course, to uh, to prevail victims. over him. Um, if you remember in Isaiah 43, this was a theme that came out of the summit uh, to pre prepare ourselves for new ways, new things, uh, <laughs> new new uh, roads in the desert, new streams in the desert. Um, it's uh, it's a matter of and, and when you read Isaiah 43, it's around verse uh, 19, I believe. There's a phrase in there where God is saying, I am preparing uh, new roads in the desert, uh, new, new streams. Do you not perceive it? That's very convicting. Do you not perceive it? Sometimes when God is working amongst the chaos, we get overwhelmed by the chaos and we don't perceive what God is doing in the chaos. And so that's important, you know, for me uh, to always pray that I see the situation before me through God's eyes and that I respond the way he wants me to respond. But we have to look, we have to pray into being able to see it through <laughs> God's eyes and not just through our own uh, preconceptions and, uh, and, and prejudices as well. Um, and so with that, to prepare in one season for the next, and it all means being very attuned to God and what he's, uh, what he's doing. Um, and the other, uh, well, I know what it was, D Darius Crosby, you know, many of you know, Darius, here's what he said. He said, um, you know, that old commercial, can you hear me now? He says, I think that's what God is saying right now. Can you hear me now in this chaos? <laughs> I thought it was good. Um, and then again, to, to stay standing, stand firm, stand fast. It's not about advancing on the enemy. Warnings about that. Uh, but to, uh, to, to stand firm. And again, I will, um, I will send you some of the uh, uh, scriptures that were used, I think, uh, those are those are very important. Uh, a couple of final things here. Um, yeah, David and Goliath. David thought Goliath was too big to miss. Uh, the refiner's fire. Just a reminder, especially as we're going through stuff right now, whether it's personal or cultural or or national or or even in through the body of Christ, the purpose of the refiner's fire, although it's not comfortable at the moment, is to hone us, uh, to make us better witnesses, to make us better conduits of God's love, grace, and mercy. So uh, it, it's, it's easy in the rearview mirror to embrace the fire and the refining that goes on. When we're going through it, it's not so fun. Uh, but when we, when we look back at it, we can see what God is doing. And um, this was a good uh, observation that through the summit, uh, quite a few people felt there's an increase in the quantity and quality of prayer. Um, and often when we're facing adversity, there is a definite increase in the quantity of prayer. What's the old adage there's no atheist in a foxhole in war but with that the quality of, of prayer not that god judges our prayer but we we tend to uh be able to tune in 
with the Holy Spirit in, in a more like tuning in a frequency, um, we, we get more refined, more targeted in our prayers with God. And that, that comes out of uh, a lot of the things that we're going through uh, right now. And then uh, someone mentioned John 15, 7, uh, to abide and ask if you ask anything in my name. And then uh, there's this concept in scripture about the sweet aroma uh, of God. And that, that goes from Old Testament to New Testament. And that really comes from uh, initially from prayer. And so really the prayer summit emphasized the importance of prayer. Uh, but with that, how we do that during times of, uh, of adversity as, as well. So anyway, those are a, a couple of uh, highlights from the prayer summit. Again, uh, we don't go into a lot of specifics because sometimes that's very personal for the people who are part of it. But uh, those are some of the major, major themes we we're talking about. And I will email you a list of the scriptures. I think they're worthy to, uh, to go over and, and, uh, and to look at. Finally, it's a reminder. And, and this is, remember, the, the ministerium is made up of a very diverse uh, pack of people, different uh, denominations, different doctrines, uh, all centered on Christ, you know, we share that, <clears throat> but a lot of, you know, some baptized three times backwards, and some baptized one time forwards, and some sprinkle, and some have been sprunk, I guess, sprinkle in the past, whatever. Uh, so, I mean, we all, we all, and, and how communion is celebrated is very different as well. So, here are some things, uh, finally, I'll end with this, that we learned and we rehearsed about walking together. And I've told this story many times, but I'll just rehearse it very quickly. A man named Bob Kreider, uh, who's now with the Lord, used to be one of Billy Graham's advance men for his, uh, uh, you know, his, his big campaigns in, in the cities. And uh, again, Bob would go into a city ahead of Billy Graham, ahead of a crusade, and he'd just start walking the streets and he'd talk to people and he'd pray with people. And some of them thought he was Billy Graham, you know, because he, he God had gifted him with bringing people, introducing them to the Lord. Anyway, he facilitated one of our prayer summits or a couple of them. The last one before he died back in 1997, I think it was. And he said this to us. It says, don't go back to Modesto and seek unity. Go back to Modesto and seek Jesus. Because if you go back and seek unity, you may very well miss Jesus. But if you go back and seek Jesus, you will find unity. <laughs> profound, profound observation. And then a couple things that are always good to remember and and I, I have these scriptures in front of me as I do the, the daily radio show now. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Uh, that's in Proverbs 18, 21. The message says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Uh, Galatians 5, 15 in the NIV. If you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be destroyed 
by one another. And then finally, uh, Romans 12, 18, the NIV reads this way, and this really, I have this in front of me all the time. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Anne's got that one memorized. I can see. <laughs> the, uh, the NLT version of that is do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So um, those are the major, major themes that came out of that. And uh, I hope that was interesting to you. And thank you, Anne, for asking. And uh, if you'd like uh, any particulars on that, message me, email me, text me, throw a rock at me, whatever works. And, uh, and I'll be happy to amplify that for you. And I will get a list of the scriptures to you as well. All right, let's move on to Daniel. Uh, we made it through verse uh, five last week. And so we'll see how far we get today. Uh, if you remember well, let me just review verses three through five, and that'll, that'll introduce us into what we're talking about today. Then the king ordered Asphanaz, the, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, and they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. So what was the curriculum? Well, Bible scholars take a stab at this, uh, and, and they feel, as scripture said here, is probably about a three, maybe a three to four year period. It probably included, be, because of what was important to Babylon at the time, to the economy and such, was agriculture, uh, certainly architecture, a lot of building going on, astrology, astronomy, law, mathematics, and language. And of course, the language would have been different uh, than Hebrew. And so uh, the language training was very important. So uh, these, these young men are going to spend three years uh, now, and uh, they are all renamed by Ashpenaz. And I'm assuming that's part of the plan, to turn them into Babylonian leaders uh, we might call it a bit of brainwashing is going on by stripping them of their Hebrew identities. And, and you remember, I mean, in, names are important to us. We like to be called, you know, by what our name is, really. But in, in, the, in the Jewish culture, there was a deeper significance of a name because the name was given to you to help form your identity. Uh, however, many of us named our children for specific names that their names carry. So uh, I know for, for example, uh, when, when we named Joshua, Joshua, we, we just didn't pick a biblical name because it, it was, I thought it was cool. 
we chose Joshua because we wanted our Joshua to be like Joshua of old, uh, to be a leader, uh, to be a man of God, to be gifted uh, by God, to, if necessary, be a warrior uh, for the Lord. And so uh, I remember, and, and, and Lori was kind of busy at that point. I'm sure she probably didn't notice. It was a long, long time that night. Uh, but after Joshua was born, you know, they clean your baby up and make sure he's healthy. And then they put him in the little bassinet thing, whatever you call it, in the hospital. And, and they allow dad to, to go over. And so I, I prayed over him and, and prayed blessings over him, which I think ticked off the nurse who, who I guess was not a believer. And she said, you know, it's time for you to, to move away. I said, it's my son, it's time for you to move away. And when I'm done, I'll let you know. And uh, so anyway, she went away and came back when I, when I was done blessing him because I wanted to bless him with that name of Joshua right at the time that he was born. So it's that kind of um, sensitivity, that kind of depth uh, and emotion that went into names in the Hebrew culture. So for... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar to order uh, Ashpenaz to change the names meant that they were trying to strip these guys of their Hebrew heritage. They're trying to do away with everything Hebrew, and they're trying to make them into Babylonians. Um, what was Steve Martin's funny song, Walk Like an Egyptian? Well, that it was walked like a Babylonian uh, for these guys. They wanted to to really kind of uh, re-educate them, like re-education camps that that they have in Vietnam and and in China. Uh, they wanted to make them into total bat. They wanted to take the raw talent, which they looked for. You know, remember uh, Daniel was of nobility, so they were taking the raw talent, the raw giftings, the good looks that they had, uh, the the strong intellects that they had. And, and mold them into being Babylonians. So that's what's happening here over this uh, three-year period. Now, uh, do you remember what the name Daniel means? Anybody, uh, has anybody read up on that? Okay. In the Hebrew, Daniel means God has judged or God is my judge. And so there's a, a very heavy um, responsibility that, that comes with that name. Now, here are the new names that are given to Daniel and his three friends. Daniel, again, is God has judged or God is my judge. And then there's uh, uh, Hananiah. Hananya, which means God has favored. Uh, Mishael um, means who God is or what God is. Uh, so Mishael means uh, who God is or what he is. And Azariah means Jehovah has helped. So you have these uh, four young men, Daniel, uh, Hananya, and uh, Mishael and Azariah, 
four young men chosen from the tribe of Judah, and they're going to be renamed. So Daniel was renamed um, Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar, which means Lord of the straightened treasure, Lord of the Lord of the straightened treasure. That's kind of an odd thing, doesn't it mean? Uh, don't, don't you think? Uh, so straightened to me means they're straightening him out. Uh, they're redefining him. And uh, or that Nebuchadnezzar is the truth. He's the straight path. And so um, Daniel or Belteshazzar is going to be the Lord of the straight guys, Nebuchadnezzar's treasure. Hananiah, which means God has favored, Hananiah is um, renamed Shadrach, or Shadrach, as we say in the English, Shadrach, which means royal or great scribe. So what they're planning to do with um, uh, Shadrach is to make him a scribe and, and part of the royal court. And then there's Mishael, Mishael, who God is. And he is going to be called Meshach. Uh, we call it Meshach, uh, Meshach, guest of a king. And then uh, Azariah, Jehovah has helped, is going to be renamed Abednego. We call it Abednego. Set the, the Babylonian pronunciation will be Abednego. Now, there's, there's part of a, a name in there. Did you catch it? Abednego, Nego, Nebuchadnezzar, N-E-G-O. They're identifying him with being a servant of Nebo or Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebo itself means, may Nebo protect my boundary. So they're reprogramming, and I'll use the anglicized version so they won't get confused. Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are all given their new names. And it's a, <coughs> excuse me, it's a very sly reprogramming of where they are, an attempt to erase their Jewishness and in the process make them Babylonian. Now, a little bit of... Uh, background as we move into verse 8, part of the reprogramming on Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego involved treating them well, even allowing them a life of luxury, according to King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and you'll often find in psychological warfare, uh, in battle, when you have, a, you have taken a prisoner, if you want to get them on your side, you lavish them with things that they would desire. Uh, if you think about it in the context of detectives interviewing uh, hardened suspects or any kind of suspect, sometimes that the detective knows that the suspect likes Coke, I, not, not the kind, you know, that kind, but drinking Coke, uh, he'll, he'll go get a can of Coke. And he'll sit there in the investigation room and, and he'll set that Coke on a table. He says, would you like a Coke? Yeah. So it's part of 
uh, getting them on the detective side, or if they know they smoke in years past, they don't do it now, but in years past, you'd, you'd hand them a, a cigarette and light it for him and, and let him smoke, you know, while, while you're talking to him. So this is what they're doing. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's lavishing uh, them with, with um, luxurious living arrangements, and they fed them the best food in the kingdom and the best wine that that could be uh that could be uh, uh that could be found now the problem for daniel and company is with all this great food and the best wine they were all prohibited by by the law of moses it was all stuff that as a good jewish person you didn't eat and you didn't drink uh, the food often violated the Jewish mandates uh, from God and even the wine. You say, well, didn't the Jews drink wine? Yes, they did. But it, it was a, uh, a different kind. Uh, it was a different kind. The Jewish tradition was to thin out the alcohol content of uh, wine by diluting it with water. Uh, so when we you know, Jesus turning the water into wine. And we, when we read about uh, wine being far, uh, part of cere uh, ceremonies and such, the ratio of water to wine in the Old Testament could be anywhere from six parts water to one part wine to 10 parts water to one part wine. So it was pretty well diluted. Well, the wine that you had in Babylon uh, was strong stuff. It wasn't diluted. And you would know, and I, I don't drink alcohol. I, I never have. And so I, I can't tell you that with any authority. But uh, those of you who, who have or do, you know, you may understand that better than I do, that there would be a instantaneous recognition. This is heavy stuff. You know, the, 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 this isn't our Jewish, our Jewish wine. And the food, although excellent, was often sacrificed to idols before the food was given and, uh, and eaten to, uh, for, for guests. And oftentimes the, uh, the food that was sacrificed was um, sometimes not, not the best parts in the pagan culture. And so they kept back the, you know, the New York steaks for themselves or the prime ribs or the fillets. And so what you served your guests were the leftovers, the best leftovers from the food that was sacrificed to idols. And of course, these Jewish guys, uh, that, that was an abomination to them to eat food that had been previously sacrificed to idols. In fact, this morning, uh, in the morning congregation, we talked about uh, that passage in 1 Corinthians 8 about Paul saying, you know, yeah, you're, you're, you have freedom in Christ. There's no problem eating food that had been sacrificed to idols. But if you're around people, if you're around Jews to whom that is an abomination, don't serve them that. Don't eat that in front of them. Pick something else that, you know, that they're allowed to eat. So anyway, to come back to Daniel, Meshach, uh, Shadrach, and Abednego, they are, they are faced here with a God-sized crisis. And so they basically have to come to the point of either obeying God with their dietary mandates or disobey God by partaking of the Babylonian food and wine. So that's the contextual setup now for verse eight. So let's see how this verse, uh, how these verses unfold here. <clears throat> Again, beginning in verse uh, eight, 
But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. I want to stop there for a minute. It is so important for us as believers to reach out in appropriate ways and develop relationships and trusted relationships with non-believers. And it's not to manipulate them into becoming believers, but it's to establish a relationship and establish trust so that they can sense God in us. So that as, as we conduct ourselves other people can see the, the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ reflected through us. It, it, I think of it like a, a conduit of water, perhaps, and that water flowing from God. And, and that conduit, we are that conduit. And, and so the blessings of God are flowing through us and being perceived by other people. And that's why it's so important to develop those relationships with non-believers. And so anyway, that's what's happening here. Uh, uh, the, the, the king's main man here is right-hand man who's put in charge of David and, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, this man develops uh, an, an appropriate affection for David, he li uh, Daniel. He likes him. He, he respects him even. So, Verse 9, now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, that's the chief of staff, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. So Ashpenaz is he's worried. He's he's thinking, well, I don't <clears throat> I don't mind doing that, Daniel, but you know, without this wonderful food that we're feeding all the other youths, you're gonna start to get skinny and look pale. And if Nebuchadnezzar notices that, it's off with my head. So he likes Daniel a lot, <clears throat> but he knows that King Nebuchadnezzar has a plan to reprogram Daniel and make him and his friends into the great leaders in, in the king's court. And Ashpenaz also knows that if Daniel goes on a food strike, his complexion is going to change. He's going to start to look gray and, and malnourished and skinny, and, and he'll lose strength, perhaps. And because Ashpenaz is in charge of keeping Daniel and his friends healthy, and, and growing in their new Babylonian identities and training, he knows that if the king notices this, if he notices Daniel's uh, worsening in his complexion and his strength, it's uh, king's not going to have any problem at all at executing Ashpenaz. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's a ruthless guy, no problem at all. But, and notice here, and, and when I referenced Isaiah 43 earlier, 19, about new roads in the desert, do you not perceive it? Daniel perceived God making a new road in the desert that he was in. 
he gives Daniel an alternative. And this turns out to be even better and even healthier than the king's dietary program. So here we go. Let's find out what happened. Verse 11. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. I want to stop there for just a second. I pray that God never calls me to have a steady diet of just vegetables and water. Uh, God in your mercy, have, have mercy upon me and allow me to eat meat. All right. Here, we'll, we'll go on. Verse 13. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. Verse 15, at the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided the others. Verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. So God's at, at powerful work here. He, uh, he keeps them healthy through the uh, Jewish diet, I guess you could say here. But plus, God is giving uh, Daniel's friends... And an unusual um, uh, and above par understanding of literature and wisdom. And for Daniel, God gives Daniel with this very special gift of being in, able to interpret dreams. So uh, not only that, but their education was the best that Babylon could provide. And remember, for Babylon being evil, it also was, uh, they, they were very advanced in terms of literature and mathematics and, and such. So minus the religious problems with all of this, Daniel and his friends uh, learned a lot and uh, became very wise in literature, mathematics, agriculture, and, and, and the such. So Daniel is given by God this, this extraordinary ability to interpret dreams, which would make Daniel a powerful resource for King Nebuchadnezzar. And it allowed him to very powerfully and with credibility speak into the Gentile culture of Babylon. And this, again, is being able to see what God is up to in the midst of chaos and seeming tragedy. These guys have been kidnapped by Nebuchadnezzar, of all people. They have been kidnapped and taken away to Babylon. And Daniel, instead of lashing out at Nebuchadnezzar and lashing out at God and, 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 and being offended and, and pushing back against all of this, he looks for where God is working and he joins God there. And God 
blesses him, and God reaches the people of Babylon through Daniel. Had Daniel not been kidnapped, he wouldn't have been there. You see, so again, I come back to this. We always need to pray to see our present situation through God's eyes and ask, what do you want to do through me in this particular uh, situation? All right, so let's continue. Uh, verse, I'm focusing my contact. Is it verse 18 or 16? Uh, anyway, it's the next verse where we left off. <laughs> it's in fine print. Can't read it. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. By the way, the use of ten times here is not a mathematical equation. It's a colloquialism of the time. Uh, it means many times. It, there's a number to it, but in the, in the colloquialism of the time it meant he was many times more capable than the magicians and enchanters and let's take a looker uh, a, a closer look at these magicians and enchanters mentioned in verse 20 <clears throat> the magicians were not the magicians that we as we think of them today uh, those of us in the entertainment business that that's not what they were talking about Magician was a catch-all phrase for all those who practiced the occult. So it's evil spiritual stuff. There were generally five types of specialists that the king consulted. Magicians, which was kind of the overall overarching term. Enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, wise men, and diviners. So again, magicians practice the occult. Enchanters, uh, as we understand it, probably used incantations or chants to seemingly exorcise spirits from people. So the <coughs> excuse me, the enchanters were the exorcists of their time. So if Stephen King had been around at that time, he'd be writing probably about all these uh, enchanters here. Sorcerers uh, were not like the lovable Mickey Mouse and the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Sorcerers were used to cast spells on other people. They were like the shamans of, of the American Indian culture. They would, uh, they would uh, pray, I guess you could say, um, curses upon other people. Or uh, if you go into some of the... Uh, French occult that you find in um, in Louisiana and some places where you know they would stick pins in likenesses of people in, in order to cast spells uh, on them. So that that was the uh, those were the sorcerers. Those were is what they did. The astrologers <clears throat> were kind of a priestly sect. They interpreted things based upon their studies of the stars. 
and they worship the stars. The wise men that came in search of Jesus, they were probably like these astrologers. Of course, it was a couple hundred years later. But they were like these astrologers, and they, uh, and I'll get to this in a minute, but in general terms, wise men would cover a lot of these uh, different uh, skills and a lot of these different disciplines. So these astrologers were probably like the, the wise men who came after Jesus. They, they knew the Hebrew scriptures. They had studied them, and they were in the practice of studying the stars and so when they noticed this star of the east, it occurred to them, they, they added it all up, they connected the dots. This is the star of, of the Hebrew scriptures. And so let's go see this king, this boy king. All right, and then finally, diviners would, but would be what we would call fortune tellers. By the way, I don't know if you've been by, our, Brenda knows this, by our office on... Uh, ABC's office down there near 15th and F, but there's a, is it a palm reader, Brenda, Brenda that's, palm reader. yeah, yeah, it's palm a palm reader, reader that's down at the mm -hmm. end of the block now, we're blessed with that, and I just pray for, they're often her, female, I don't know, female or male, but anyway, I pray for that palm reader that he or she uh, would come to the Lord, I don't, pr I don't pray curses upon them, I pray blessings that they would, uh, their heart would be changed. Anyway, so diviners would, would divine the future. They would tell people what the, what the future uh, would hold. So in general, the term wise men would cover all or most of these five specialties. And we're going to see Daniel use that term off and on as a general reference to all the specialties. When he talks about wise men, when he writes about them in this book that he wrote called Daniel, when you see wise men, uh, they're, they're referring to the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, and diviners. All right, verse 21, and uh, we're, we're just about there at the end of, of today's study. Daniel remained in royal service until the first year of the king of, of the reign of King Cyrus. That's an important verse because it gives us a sense about Daniel, some background. So if we can generally say that Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem, as we know, in the third year of the reign of Judah's King Jehoiakim, that would place the beginning of Daniel 1 around 606 B.C. So Daniel's giving us some clues here, either intentionally or unintentionally, about when his adventure begins. So the opening of Daniel 1 is probably around 606 B.C., given that Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, Daniel, um, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, were taken captive and placed in the, king, the king's court at the time of their training and supposed programming. So we're going to guess that Daniel emerged from this training around 603 BC. So he started, he was taken captive probably around 606 BC, and he emerges from the training, the three-year training program, probably around 603 BC. 
Now, Daniel probably served in King Nebuchadnezzar's court as his advisor, as the premier interpreter of dreams from 603 B.C. to 539 B.C. And uh, why do we say 539 B.C.? That's when God used King Cyrus to overthrow the Babylonian Empire and shortly allow the Judean captives to return to Jerusalem. So that, that verse uh, 21, Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. When did King Cyrus take over? He took over in 539 B.C. So we're able to, to uh, take a stab at, at Daniel's uh, age here. So doing the math, which is not my strong point, but, you know, I can do basic math. That's around 64 or 65 years of serving Nebuchadnezzar. Can you imagine serving this crazy lunatic for 65 years? But you see, it was God's plan for him. And he was just exactly where God wanted him to be. And his life, according to God, his life purpose was to reach the Babylonian people for God while serving under Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel was probably, if you, you know, add how old he was, maybe 16 or so when this all started, Daniel was probably in his mid-80s when Cyrus took down Babylon and set the captives free. And I, I think it was Lori that asked a couple of weeks ago, what happened to Daniel afterwards? Well, he's in his mid-80s now, which is pretty, uh, pretty old for the time. So, and in, in to wrap it up here, God used Daniel to speak into Nebuchadnezzar's confused mind, and he used Daniel to speak into the Babylonian Gentile people for 65 years. And that's a powerful testament to the fact that God is always at work in our lives and that we as people need to accomplish his will and build his kingdom and have that viewpoint even when the circumstances look dim and hopeless. And I think it's a, <clears throat> it's a good reminder for us in the 21st century. I encourage all, all of us to prayerfully seek God's eyes for whatever situation that we're in so that he can use us fully. And so he can work in us and through us to be a, a very bright light in a very dark world right now and to speak truth, not so much by word, but our, by our actions and our reactions. And again, uh, I'll end here with first uh, Peter two twelve. First Peter two twelve. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. The message puts it this way. Live an exemplary life in your neighborhood so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join and the celebration when he arrives. And that was Daniel's mission, to do exactly, exactly that. So, 
anyway, that's uh, that's Daniel one. We've completed the first chapter, which is really Daniel's introduction to us. It's the historical context to lead us into the rest of of Daniel two through eight, and uh, and uh, so anyway, we'll we'll launch next week into uh, Daniel. Uh, chapter two, the second book of Daniel, and uh, and see what happens after that. Any observations? Any questions? Any comments about this first chapter? What what happened to the to the other three fellows? What, do we do we know what happened to them? Yes, we do, and we're going to <clears throat> we're going to find that out as we proceed through uh, Daniel, and it's going to be cool. Well, yes. Somewhere around, they get in that oven, I think, don't they? Yes. Yes. So we have some, uh, some things to go. Yeah. That's exactly right. Uh, they're they're, uh, going to get in, well, it's not hot water, but it's hot fire. Yeah. Um, um, I, think, I think an observation yeah. is that, um, you know, we like to get things done quickly, uh, but mm. obviously... Um, uh, God had other intentions for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, and it certainly wasn't quick. Uh, I, I would assume when you're talking about in remain in the king's service, because I believe Nebuchadnezzar died and Belshazzar came in, I believe, right? So did Daniel just continue in the king's service? Um, no matter who was king at that time? We'll find out. Very good answer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stay find tuned. out. I don't, I don't, yeah, stay tuned. I don't, I don't want to right? give away too much because <laughs> this is such a wonderful trip through this, this book. It's, it's just, it's packed with adventure and, and uh, uh, skullduggery and all, all sorts of <laughs> I know then, because they come in in the underground, right? In the canals, in the. Well, you're 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 just intent on on. Hey, Lori. I'm messing I'm up sorry. my. Uh, yeah, just you wait. Just be patient. Book. Shame on you. Reading the end of the book. I'm sorry. Well, no. Lori's Lori's been reading ahead. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. That isn't fair. God it's is like reading right. the end of a novel. <laughs> God is yes, that's right. Yes, John. But that's what I do. Unfortunately, a lot of the time, <laughs> I want to know how it ends, and then it helps me understand. Anyway, yeah. Okay, John, I won't do that. No, I never do that. Never. I don't want to ruin the ending. I want it to be a surprise. <laughs> Are you there, John? Hang on. Yes. John, yes. You there? Uh, okay. Go ahead, John. I know the boys uh, mixed it up and they got in there with the lions and the fire, the fire and the lions. But I mean, after that, what, what, what part, I don't remember. I can't remember what, uh, what happened to them. Well, that's, was, that's, yeah, that's supposed to, that's where we're studying the book. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to experience that as we go along through the book. So all, all of that right. will unfold as, as we go through. In other words, John, right. he's not going to tell us the end of the story. I'm not going to so tell you the end. Well I'm not going to be like. Ask. I'm not going to be like. You might Paul as well tune Harvey. in next week. 
Yeah, I'm not going to give you the rest of the story. We could read it for ourselves and find yes. out. Of course you <laughs> could. Yes. yes, which is fine. I have no problem with that. I, oh, I just funny. think this is such a wonderful, a wonderful book that uh, I'm just enjoying going by chapter and chapter, chapter by chapter, and. Uh, I know I'm being a little facetious about this, but the other thing, though, is I want to make sure that we get the setup uh, for each of these adventures that we're going to see. I, I want to make sure that we get the context. Uh, we see the history. We know what's going on. We know why, what, you know, what's happening. And so to, in order to do that, um, you know, we, we pretty much have to take it kind of verse by verse, which is my favorite way of teaching anyway but uh, so we'll, we'll we'll get all those questions answered as we go along <laughs> you know i think that one of the things that is of interest at least to me out of all of the decades that um that i studied daniel never did i really think about or realize that god was using him to speak into the Babylonian culture and um, the Babylonian Gentiles um, always just focused on the king and interesting how God used him in the people's lives. Because if you focus just on his service to the king, um, you lose, you don't get the other part. Yeah. And, and remember, uh, and I think we talked about this in the introduction. Half and take Daniel one out because that's basically his preface. It's his prologue. Uh, but in the rest of Daniel, basically the first half of the book of Daniel is Daniel journaling how God used him to reach the Babylonians, to reach the Gentiles. The second half of Daniel is uh, a little more of a focus on the Hebrew, the, the Jewish people, the people of the nation of Israel, and how they are going to affect the Gentile world. So the first half looks mostly at how Daniel affects the Gentile world, and then he kind of takes a new pair of glasses and allows us to see how Israel herself is going to affect the Gentile world and how Israel's relationship with the Gentile world is, uh, is going to play on uh, to what happens later on in history. So it's very interesting. You have that shift about uh, halfway through, and, and I'll, I'll make sure that we note when that, when that shift is happening so that we can see, uh, we can see clearly how, how Daniel changes gears in that. But yeah, you know, it's interesting uh, I mean, God's purpose for him was to speak into the Gentile world and then uh, to really speak into the, the, the nation of Israel and remind her of how God is using her not only for Israel, but for the world as well. Remember, God's uh, covenant with Abraham covered the whole world. That covenant about being the father of many nations, etc., did not just include Jewish people, included the Gentiles as well. 
And so what we're going to see is part of the Abrahamic covenant rolling out in real time in, in the book of Daniel. And uh, so anyway, we'll, we'll try to connect all those dots. for Pastor Mike, yes. um, I was thinking what Lori said is, now God does that now because lots of times we think God is using us. Well, let's say I worked at the church with the singles and I could think God is using me there, but there's many other people watching that could be affected by my life that has nothing to do with my job or, I mean, we just don't know the people that sees and hears us. <laughs> exactly so right. I think he uses us for so much more than what we think about. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, Ann. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I look at, uh, I get surprised by people in comments from time to time when they make an obs a complimentary observation and I'm going, I didn't know who are you? <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Wow. I didn't well, praise God. I was on good behavior that day. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, it, but you're, yeah, you're exactly right. And, and, and while you were on staff at, at big Valley, people were watching you. Yeah. And, and it, didn't necessarily have anything to do with uh, Pastor Jim and the singles and all of yeah. that. It's just God is God is working at so many different levels yeah. that we yeah. often don't even realize, and so it it comes back to just you know uh, as Paul says to uh, make ourselves a, a sacrifice to God or. Our, our bodies a, a living sacrifice un, unto God, which is our reasonable act of service. Uh, that that's a moment by moment yeah. choice. It is, yeah. We can't do it on autopilot. I can't do it on autopilot. <laughs> I Maybe can't. The either. rest of you can. Uh, I have to make a moment by moment choice for that. So yeah, good observation, Ann. Good. Good. Any other comments or observations today? <laughs> Mike, uh, what hi, you said about—hi, Mike. What you said about people watching us—I think, I think we're just so not aware often. But it's amazing what they do see, both good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and and again, that—that's not to make us paranoid. No. When Paul and Peter talked about that sort of thing, it's not to make us paranoid. It's to remind us of our identity is in Christ, not in ourselves, not in what we do, not in what we've accomplished. Our identity is in Christ. And so it's important to think about that on a minute by minute basis. Mm -hmm. And, and again, that, that admonition, to walk by the spirit so you not fulfill the lust of the flesh the lust of the flesh there is not people tend to think well that's he's talking about sexual sin no he's talking about our propensity to serve ourselves instead of serve christ yeah our natural inclination is, is to serve ourselves <laughs> when we're filled with the holy spirit 
when we're walking with the Spirit, then is when we sacrifice for others. And and Lee, certainly you've you've walked that out in in your life, and and Brenda and Lori and I mean all of you who are here on this Zoom thing today have sacrificed for others, and and that's what we're talking about. That that's that's walking by the Spirit. And so Daniel, we're seeing Daniel do it. And that First Peter two twelve comes very alive when, when we think yeah. about that. Yeah. Anything else, it, it, John? It, it, yes, it's very fascinating. Uh, very fascinating when you think about it, because uh, 80, 86 years old. Uh, he started out at sixteen. David did wound up at eighty six years. Um, that God used him. And so he was just a bubble gummer when God used him. And now look at Moses, what he went through, and how he came about and wound up out there at Jethro's Desert out there. And, and then the Lord, Jesus, says to him, I want you to go to Egypt. We've got to move about two million people out of there. And, <laughs> and how stagnant he was using, a, he was 80 years old using an 80-year-old. So there's hope for us folks that are getting up there. <laughs> well, well I, think, I, yeah. I think, John, not just hope, I think that it shows that God uses us no matter what our age is. Amen. We sometimes, I think, in society value the younger people and not so much the older ones because they're uh, society, our society feels like not all societies, certainly um, not Chinese society, but American society feel like you're washed up. You know, you're past 60 and your career is done and, and you uh, need to move out of the way for the younger people. So it does uh, bring up the observation that, you know, God can use everybody, no matter what age they are. Amen. Well, uh, but it's it's right. Uh, on the flip side of that, it's what you do with that eighty years or whatever years it is um, yeah, uh, as you is. get older. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah. how you listen, how you listen, and how you interpret things. Uh, uh, when he speaks to you, how carefully you listen to him and what he's saying to you. And, and uh, there are just so many things that are involved that. Uh, but obviously, uh, uh, you look at uh, people like Billy Graham, how he was used. Um, it's, it's just fascinating. It's just fascinating. All the stuff that they've gone through, they could have went any number of places, wound up in any number of situations. But to go on and finish like that um, from where they started. And so anyway, obviously it wasn't on their own accord. That's for sure. That's for sure. So that's a blessing we have. We know how strong he is and what he is to us, how much he loves us and how important it is for us to understand him and uh, to learn about him and read him. But to understand, you know, getting down on your knees and giving him thanks every day at night uh, there's, there's, there's a lot to be said for that. And I'm sure that, uh, he must look down on that with a big smile. 
that you really want to do something with what he's given you. Whatever it is, whatever it is. So Well, and the Bible uh, didn't doesn't talk about retirement. That some somebody uh, a few people have mentioned that along the line. You know, God didn't have that in his economy. That's our man made that you you're retired, but you're never really, you're always serving and doing what God wants you to be. I'm glad Moses didn't tell him, uh, I need retirement here. I got, I'm getting up there. Uh, David didn't say that. Uh, uh, so when you retire, that's up to every individual, uh, how they want to yeah. deal with it and how they want to shut it down. Obviously, uh, we don't have any say in the matter. That's not our business. That's the Lord's business and, and how he handles that at the end. Just the very simple phrase, I just want to be remembered of being a good steward, being a good soldier. Amen. And Amen. How do you handle it? <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, boy, we've, I've gone way over time. So uh, let's see. Uh, Sandra, would, would you mind closing us in prayer today? Yes. I hope. Can you hear me? We can. Yes, we can hear you, Sandra. Oh, I'm okay. I sure will be happy to with Good. all of you. Do, dear Lord, just we really want to thank you for this great um, informational study we've had this afternoon. We just ask a blessing upon each and every one of us that as we study the book of Daniel, uh, your blessings will share with us insights that we have uh, yet to learn and that it'll make a difference in not only our lives, but those of the people we come in contact with. So thank you again for this day. Thank you for our leader, Michael Douglas. Thank you that all of us had this opportunity to be here. In the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen.